Good morning and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a Vision for You Big Book Study. My name is Katie G and I am a recovered compulsive overeater. Today is Wednesday, January 1st, 2014. Today we are reading from the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous and we are on page 5, paragraph 1, starting with Liquor Ceased to be a Luxury. Today's readers are for the 12 Steps, Sarah W., 12 Traditions, Lauren S., and our readers are Rick, Susan C., Michelle, Penny C., and Fran. The reference for yesterday, December 31st, 2013, is 5667. The OA Preamble, Overeaters Anonymous, is a fellowship of individuals who, through shared experience, strength, and hope, are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. Our primary purpose is to abstain from compulsive eating and to carry the message of recovery through the 12 steps of Overeaters Anonymous to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose, OA's fifth tradition states, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At A Vision for You Big Book Study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. And I will now ask Sarah to read the 12 steps. Sarah? Good morning, everybody, and Happy New Year. My name is Sarah W., and I'm a grateful, recovering, compulsive overeater. Here are the steps of Overeaters Anonymous. One, we admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, were entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Ten, continued to take personal inventory, and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. Eleven, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. And twelve, Having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to compulsive overeaters 
and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Thank you, and I pass. Thanks, Sarah. And before I move forward, I just want to make a quick correction. I apologize. Yesterday's share code for Tuesday, December 31st was that is actually 5677. So if you're looking for the share code for yesterday, it's 5677. And I apologize that I got that wrong. Okay, so now, Lauren S., will you please read the 12 traditions? Yes. Hi, this is Lauren S., recovered compulsive overeater from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. 12 traditions. One, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority. The loving God is he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group should be anonymous except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise. Let's problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such ought never be organized but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. 10. Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues, hence the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. 11. Our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, and films. 12. Anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all our traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. Thank you, Lauren. How our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you please keep your sharing to the topic and literature we are discussing and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinence requirement for moderators is one year and for readers is six months. There is no abstinence requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, please press star 1 to unmute. Once you are done sharing, let us know by saying pass. Then press star 1 to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone except the speakers should be muted. Today, we resume our study of the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous on page 5, paragraph 1, Liquor Cease to Be a Luxury. And I will start by asking Rick 
to begin the reading, please. Rick. Good morning. My name is Rick. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. Liquor ceased to be a luxury. It became a necessity. Bathtub gin, two bottles a day and often three, got to be routine. Sometimes a small deal would net a few hundred dollars and I would pay my bills at the bars and delicatessens. This went on endlessly. I began to waken very early in the morning, shaking violently. A tumbler full of tumbler full of gin followed by a half dozen bottles of beer would be required if I were to eat any breakfast. Nevertheless, I still thought I could control the situation, and there were periods of sobriety which renewed my wife's hope. Well, as I read this paragraph, um, what I identified with uh, was the last sentence. Uh, I I still thought I could control the situation. I remember when I came into Overeaters Anonymous, I think it was about seven years ago, I showed up and I listened and I went on a diet. And I lost a bunch of weight. I lost like, you know, 45 pounds and um, thought I was doing good. And I said, "This is this is a this is easy. This is I got this down, and I was doing better than a lot of people as far as the weight was concerned." And then, probably a year into that, something changed, and my weight began to creep up. And the diet that I was on wasn't really working. So what I would have to do was get my resolve together and try to control my eating and try to get get back on track, so to speak. And that's what I thought I could do. I still thought I could control the situation. I had lost weight and it was starting to come back on, but I thought I could control the situation. And then there were periods where I would control it, you know, for a month or two, and my weight would, I would lose a a few pounds. But I didn't put on all the weight that I had lost, but I put on, you know, about half of it. And all the while, I thought I could control it. And that was the delusion that I had in my mind. The delusion was that I could take care of this if I only thought about it, if I only worked hard enough, if I only focused my mind on it. I could take care of the weight because, after all, I had I had lost a bunch of weight in OA and I knew I could do it. But in reality, what was going on was the, the progression of the disease. I was still under the influence of the twofold illness. I still had the allergy of the body uh, when I did pick up those items that uh, I was allergic to. It would set off that phenomenon of craving, and it became very difficult to control it. I still had the obsession of the mind because every now and then I thought, well, I can I can have a few or I can eat that, and I can get away with it. And because I had, I had seen where I was able to do it every now and then. But it, it caught up with me, and I wasn't able to continue along, along that way. 
So I, I, I identified with Bill's thinking that he could control it and he would be okay. And I went through that. I went through that before I got to Overeaters Anonymous. I went through that when I was in Overeaters Anonymous. And it, it took a while um, before I was willing to surrender and actually follow the directions and and make a list of those binge items and actually put them down and realize that I couldn't eat them. I was unable to control them. And then after doing that, I was able to work the steps. So the delusion that we have that we think we can do it by ourselves, all the while the progression is going on and, you know, the disease doesn't sleep, we're still subject to those twofold, the twofold illnesses. So I'll pass with that. Thanks. Thank you, Rick. And who would like to share this morning on what we read? Penny C. here, Katie. Okay, so we've got Penny C. Now there, we'll start off with Lauren Penny C. But I did hear one other person. Lauren F. Lauren, and was there another person? Janice. Okay, Penny C. Janice. Okay, so we've got Penny, Lauren, and Janice. Penny C., you're on deck. Thank you. This is Penny C. Uh, Impulsive overeater from Boston, and boy, this is so true that the progression of the disease is so, so well described here, and yet, no matter what, I mean, he's drinking bathtub gin, and um, that, that, was, that was made usually from denatured alcohol, literally in bathtubs during the American Prohibition, and Bill, Bill was a, a bright man, and he had to know that people were dying from from drinking some of this bathtub gin. And he was having these violent shaking episodes very early, every morning, every morning. And yet, he still hadn't reached his bottom. He still wasn't desperate enough to to do something more about it. He still thought that he alone could control this disease, that he probably didn't realize it was a disease then but he 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 was he still was so so out of touch with reality that he thought he could do it and you know my story doesn't sound as dramatic when i tell it but it was it was i thought no matter i mean i was eating 24/7 i was eating in the middle of the night i wasn't i was preparing meals and had to have eaten them because my children were too young to even be walking then, and I couldn't find it. So I must have eaten it, but I didn't even realize it. That's how, how, how much I was into the disease. But still, I thought every morning, every morning I thought, today's the day I'm going to control it. Today's the day I know I can do it. What I didn't know, and, and you know, we say, you know, we didn't know what we didn't know. And what I didn't know is that I was looking for spirituality that never was going to come from the food. And I would suspect that that was what Bill was looking for. That was what was missing in Bill's life is the connection with the higher power. But he didn't know it then, as I didn't know it when I was into my disease. 
So, you know, we're going to see this progression go even downhill even more before finally Bill has that spiritual experience, spiritual awakening that is is really, really the miracle that this book, that these directions um, originate with. You know, if Bill hadn't had that spiritual experience that we're coming to, who knows? Who knows where I'd be today? So thank you, and um, thank you, Katie, for your service. I'll pass. Thank you, Penny. And Lauren S. Lauren, please press star one. Yes, do you hear me? We can now, yep, go for it. Oh, great. Okay, hi, this is Lauren S., a recovered compulsive overeater from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. So, did food cease to be a luxury and did it become a necessity? For me, absolutely, that's, that's where I identify with Bill. There were summers that all I would do every single day, the whole entire summer, save maybe parts in in June and the end of August where I would just wake up and eat, go on the internet and um, eat more and and that was it and try to get food somehow, steal it from my roommates. Um, It was a necessity, absolutely. Like was just said, Last test, Jen, Jen um, I have written in my book, Bootlegged Alcohol. And uh, I I looked up the definition of bathtub gin, and, and it's homemade gin or homemade alcohol that was also at times produced illegally. And this time, I believe prohibition of alcohol didn't stop until 1933. And here on the previous page, it says October 1929, so in this time, Bill is resorting to, you know, illegal methods. And while food, for me, it was never illegal to buy my food. Oh, I I used to buy it as if it was drugs. I would go to CVS, which reminds me, I would pay my bills at the bars and delicatessens. I would use maybe $40 I had to spend on necessities like groceries, gas, um, and I would buy and go to CVS, and I would stash my food away in my backpack, like as if I just bought a an illegal substance, and and walk hurriedly walk back to my dormitory, just praying that no one would run into me. Meanwhile, all I had was maybe you know bakery items. Um, certainly nothing illegal, but I treated it like Bill's treating his um, bathtub gin. And then morning, shaking violently, just on the, the previous, about a page and a half before, he says he began to have, he began to be jittery in the morning. So as we know, this is a clear example of progression. He's not jittery. He's shaking violently. <laughs> which is which is um extreme. And uh yeah, again, control we if I can't control it, I have to let it go and um this story a lot unfortunately 
the disease is going to progress and progress and progress. And unfortunately, I can keep identifying because that's what happened to me. Um, thank you. I'll pass. Thanks, Lauren. And Jana, uh, please press star one to share. Yes, thank you so much, Katie. This is Janice. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater from Massachusetts. Liquor ceased to be a luxury and became a necessity. Well, liquor, my foods, my binge foods ceased to become a luxury. Oh, that when I wanted to choose it, I could choose it. Now I needed it. And this is a clear example. It's so good. It's so clear to me that I was powerless with my my binge foods, and I couldn't even manage my binge foods by me. I needed it. I was jittery in the morning. I can remember today is New Year's Eve, New Year's Day. I can remember New Year's Eve. I'd be out, you know, drinking the sweet drinks and eating, and in the morning I would be so jittery. You know, it's like that um, advertisement for Dunkin' Donuts with uh, the donuts. I would wake up and say to my son, please, get me the donuts, get me the donuts, because I needed it. That was the first thing in my mind, was to get those binge foods that I needed. So you see, it wasn't working anymore. The amounts that I was taking or what I was doing wasn't working anymore. The solution, that wasn't the solution, because... This is a terrible place for, that I felt. It was very painful, very painful. It wasn't fun anymore. It was a necessity, like I needed oxygen. And um, I couldn't live with it, and I couldn't live without it. I was in a bad, bad place, you see. And, um, the, the you know, the unmanageability of, 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 of the binge foods and my life. We know the unmanageability of my life. But, you know, the food with my life, you know, um, and he and it shows how he was so selfish and so self-centered. We know now from the, his story that he's living, he's living with his in-laws <laughs> and, he, and he's not even paying rent. So if he made a little money, what did he do? He's not with the family, not to help the mother-in-law, but to, to pay his bills at the bars. So that, in other words, his motive was if I have to go in the bar again, at least, you know, they'll give me a drink. And uh, that's how it was. And, you know, on page 44, it, can, it really gives us a self-diagnosis. This is what happened to Bill uh, to tell him whether he was alcoholic or not. If when you honestly want to, you, can, you find you cannot quit entirely, which is the obsession, or if when drinking you have little control over the amount you take. That was me. No, no matter how much I, I took, I still wanted more. I had no control. I was powerless. So, you know, and then, you know, gave my, my family some hope. Oh, good, she's doing good today. Oh, good, good. Then they would see me pick up again. You know, it, it's just a, a, a merry-go-round. And with that, I'll pass. Thanks. Thank you, Janice. Would anyone else like to share on what we've read before we move on? This Hi, is Julia. Julia. Okay. So I got a couple people. Um, can we just start again? Because I didn't hear anybody clearly. Julie. This is Julia. So I have Julie and who else? Sharon. Julie, Sharon, and Bella are the three names that I'm hearing the most clearly. Am I missing anybody? 
Julia. Danielle. Okay, Julie, Sharon, Bella, and Danielle. Did I miss somebody? Alan. Leah. Okay, and then we've got, um, there was, okay. (laughs) Hang on one second. So we have Julie, Sharon, Bella, Danielle. I missed one person, and then we have Leah and Dew. And then I think we're going to call it, we're going to cut it off from there. So if your name is not Julie, Sharon, Bella, Danielle, what was your name? And uh, Alan. Alice. I'm sorry. Alice? Okay, that was who I missed. So we've got the lineup is Julie, Sharon, Bella, Danielle, Alice, Leah, and Du. Okay, so uh, we're going to leave it there. Thank you so much. And Julie R. from California, please go ahead. Hi, thank you. Um, This is Julie R., Recovered Compulsive Overeater. You know, there's so many things in this small paragraph. Um, When they were talking about the bathtub gin, you know, I didn't have... um, a certain class of my binge foods because once I took any of them, I would be off and running from eating something that I would never eat before. I would eat to eat them all. Um, and then um, to the last sentence where um, I still thought I could control the situation. New Year's Eve is a classic example of what I would do even after being in and out of OA I, it would be 11.59 and I would be shoving in binge foods, my alcoholic foods, because something magically was going to happen. I wasn't going to want it anymore at 12.01. And I, and I really believed that. Um, and my family members thought, oh, mom's really going to do it this time. And I would go to bed so intoxicated with the food. And, of course, I would have to throw in some alcohol. And I would wake up and I had had so much sugar that I would shake. And I would have to go and eat something to calm myself down. You know, not knowing that it was kind of like, you know, having the the same thing that the, the hair that bit the dog. Um, and I still thought I could do it. I still thought this was going to be it. This diet was going to be the right one. And then, of course, few hours later, I'd be finishing off the binge foods that I didn't finish before at 11.59. And then I would be off again one more time. And I would see the, the sadness, not disappointment, the sadness in my, in my family because they, they were hoping that um, I was going to find a miracle diet. But, you know, it just shows how, how insane, insidious this disease is because I am a bright woman. Um, I have a great career but yet I couldn't not I couldn't stop. So I just want to say it was wonderful waking up this morning having eaten my weight and measured food and know that I'm going to eat my weight and measured breakfast and then I don't have any of those feelings inside of me when I wake up that I'm um, ugly, horrible, morbidly obese and that I have no no life in front of me. So thank you so much for that, I'll pass. Thank you, Julie. And Sharon. Thank you, Katie. This is Sharon. Can you hear me? I can hear you, Sharon. Okay. Thank you so much. Thank you for your service and welcome to everyone out on the line. And I am just so grateful to be uh, a part of of this uh, daily meeting uh, and what a difference it's made in my life. But I, I too, just wanted to relate to that first uh, sentence 
liquor ceased to be a luxury, it became a necessity. And then down at the end, but nevertheless, I still thought that I could control the situation. And there were periods of sobriety, which, which renewed my hopes because, you know, I didn't have a husband at that point and still don't. But I am just so amazed to see how long it took me to uh, realize that this is not just uh, a diet with group support that I was able to see once I started listening to this meeting that I do have a seemingly hopeless state of mind and body, and that is not going to change. And I wrote down yesterday after hearing on the line uh, from, uh, I think it was Kim, about the definition of delusion, and um, that's what I lived in is, oh, I can still control this. And a fixed, dominating, or persistent false mental belief resistant to reason and I just saw so clearly yesterday that, um, you know, on the conscience level, I admitted I was powerless over food, but it never went down to that, um, to the core of my being. And also, I still believed in that false belief that was just completely resistant to any mental um, reason, even though I... You know, I saw the devastation and the bedevilment and my inability to handle life. Uh, so I am just so grateful to be here today. I am so grateful that I woke up clean, sober, and abstinent by God's grace and mercy. And I just encourage everyone out on the line to keep coming back because I was one of those that thought, this is just never going to work. And here it is. It is working. And I am so grateful and uh, going through the process of the steps and now having the privilege to help others. So uh, with that, I pass. Thanks, Katie. Thanks, Sharon. And Bella, if you could press star one, it is your turn to share. Good morning. My name is Bella, and I am a thankful recover compulsive overeater. Thank you very much, Katie, for doing this service, and thank you very much, everybody that is on the line. And everybody should have a happy new year. Uh, yes, I still thought I could control the situation. Control, control, such a heavy word. And first of all, I am reading this paragraph and I am laughing to myself. And wow, it's me. And it puts me, <clears throat> sorry, in a good place to remember. Bella, don't be isolated. And Bella, don't think that you are a unique child. There are other people there that they are going through the same thing. You are not the only one. Don't worry. Don't get scared. But thank God, thank God, now I am in the program. And, wow, I am aware. Thank you, God, that brought, that brought me to be aware. And, yes, I thought that I have control. And, unfortunately, I am... Still thinking I have control, not about the food. The food, I am okay, thank God. But I still want to control situations in my life and people in my life. And yes, I want to control. Thank God, thank God now I am aware. And I can find sometimes talking to myself and saying, Bella, you are again there. You want to control. And thank God, thank God I know now the solution. When I reach this 
point that I want to control. It means that I, that I am disconnected with God. Control means I want the power. So Bella, stop. Be connected to God, to the power, to the real power, to the power of love. And my control is one thing, to choose, to make the right choice one day at a time. And it's, a, it's, it's an amazing thing to know that, yes, I am a human, I am a happy human, and I am controlless. I don't have control. I have control only to take responsibility in my life. And my responsibility can be done only by being connected to God. And thank you very much, and I pass. Thank you, Bella. And we're going to move on with Alice. Hi, this is Alice, compulsive uh, reader and bulimic from Florida. Oh, boy, do I identify with the powerlessness in this paragraph. Um, you know, he writes, liquor ceased to be a luxury. It became a necessity. Well, there was a point um, where I would wake up in the morning and have a craving and I would tell myself, you know, you can satisfy this in the evening, you know, when it's dark and everyone's gone to sleep in your house, you know, you can face this day and, you know, then binge and vomit on the high level of sugar, fat, flour food in the evening. But then there came a day when I would wake up with a feeling of a sense of panic with, oh, God, but what if I can't? What if I can't? And it was just a, an incredible, insane feeling that I've got to take care of this now. I've got to take care of this now. I wake up with a craving, that, like jonesing for a relief from my six. Um, and, and so I would need it first thing, first thing, you know, to deal with the day, to relieve myself of that, you know, that, that angst and, um, you know, I couldn't delay it. I couldn't delay it. And I thought, you know, if I get it out of the way first thing in the morning before everybody wakes up, that, you know, that'll that'll keep me for the day. And you know what comes next is that a few hours later, I would be hit with another one. I couldn't control, couldn't control it um, at all. And I would, um, you know, I would just... Um, it was like whack-a-mole. It was like whack-a-mole. I would get a craving so intense. I, kn- I thought, I know I know what a heroin addict feels like. I would be jittery, irritable, restless, crazed um, physically. And, you know, I would, I would whack it out. And then a couple hours later, pop, you know, comes up again and whack it out. And um, it was no longer a luxury. I no longer had the luxury of of managing the time when I could get to the food. It had to be satisfied. Immediately, I thought I was going to die. Um, At the end of this um, paragraph, he says, nevertheless, I still thought I could control the situation and there were periods of sobriety which renewed my wife's hope. Well, that happened to me too. Now, all of a sudden, I found myself married and active in this addiction. And I would get periods of sobriety with it, usually by going away to um, short-term intensives or long-term treatment. And my husband's hopes would be renewed. Mine would be renewed. And then only to crash again, over and over again. And um, 
I just, I, it took me a long time, it took me many, 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 many years before I finally admitted my powerlessness and surrendered and was willing to get through that fear of, oh God, how can I not have my drug, my heroin, my crack? And, um, and I'm, you know, glad to be almost nine months free from that. And the only way that it has worked for me is, is by plowing through in these steps, you know, as much as I don't want to sometimes, just plowing through because the memory of this paragraph just brought up that memory of that intense craving and that fear, that intense fear that, you know, what if I can't satisfy this when I need to? And um, with that, I'll pass. Thank you. Thank you, Alice. And we've got two more shares on this paragraph. We've got Leah and then Du. Leah? Good morning. Thank you so much, Katie, for your service this morning. Good morning, everybody. My name is Leah, and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. Liquor ceased to be a luxury. It became a necessity. Bathtub, gin, two bottles a day, and often three got to be routine. I identify with that. You know, obviously... (laughs) Seeing the progression, you know, Bill's not drinking for fun anymore. Uh, Now he's drinking for an entirely different reason. Um, It's called addiction, straight up. Um, You know, it is a necessity. This is not about fun. This is not about recreation. He's now planning his day around his drinking. He's now uh, structuring, you know, every hour around having an opportunity uh, to drink And, of course, he has to drink and use greater amounts now due to his increased tolerance and capacity, and I relate to that. You know, it was no longer about fun. It was about, you know, sitting in a car in a dark parking lot for hours and hours and hours and binging my brains out until my eyeballs hurt. Um, You know, this, this was routine. This was regular procedure. This was customary. Customary uh, regular procedure for Bill, an alcoholic, and customary for me, a compulsive overeater. The abnormal had become normal for me. I could not differentiate the true from the false. This was a way of life for me. Um, It goes on to say, I began to waken very early in the morning, shaking violently. I mean, obviously, um, the consequences are becoming worse for him. His world is becoming smaller. Uh, Every facet of his life is deteriorating. Uh, Can't be responsible, can't show up. He's not accountable. Uh, He's not dependable. His life is unpredictable. Uh, There's no relationships going on here except for uh, his bottles. And um, certainly the wear and tear on his body is beginning to show up. He's having the physical consequences and deterioration of, of being an alcoholic because it's required. You know, he's, he's going to, he thinks still here. Nevertheless, I still thought I could control the situation. You know, he cannot see who and what he is. Um, you know, he may attempt to control Um, But, you know, any attempt to control his drinking at this point is a clear indication that it is already out of control. You know, controlled drinking doesn't work for alcoholics, just like controlled eating doesn't work for compulsive overeaters. Um, You know, neither does sobriety for alcoholics, and that is alcoholism. Alcoholics can't drink, and they can't not drink. And that's exactly... uh, 
the rock and the hard place that I ate my way to. You know, I couldn't continue binging like this because it was going to kill me. And I couldn't stop binging because that was going to kill me. You know, I, I, uh, my whole life, just like Bill right here, is controlled by his desires, by this disease. He is bowing to the demands of his disease. The illness, the alcoholism is making decisions for him. He has no freedom at this point, always having to pay the piper. He is a slave, and that is exactly what I relate to here. The disease is calling the shots. I still think I'm going to be able to muster some periods of control, some periods of stopping, or some periods of, um, you know, cutting back, but the disease is calling the shots. The disease is the master. And with that, I pass. Thank you. Thank you, Leah. And our last chair on this paragraph will be Do. Do, please press star one. Good morning. This is Do, uh, comp- um, Recover Compulsive Overeater. Um, thank you. Um, I I really love this paragraph because it really shows, again, you know, the twofold disease that we're encountered with. And, you know, over and over in this book, it it shows us two things. Um, It will will tell us what it is, and it, it will give us the example, you know. And in the doctor's opinion, it told us that we have a twofold disease, a, a physical um, physical allergy and a mental obsession. And then now, in Bill's story, it's given us the example of what that looks like. And it's really interesting to look at because it, it tells us from, from the get-go what it is. You know, it says, <clears throat> bathtub gin, two bottles a day, and often three got to be the routine. And, you know, isn't it true with us that once we put in that first bite, that first drink, that we're off to the races, you know, we can't stop after that. And that's the physical allergy. You know, it's very important for us to get that, that once we put in our binge foods in our bodies, we're not going to be able to control the outcome because it's a progressive disease. You know, it says liquor ceased to be a luxury. It wasn't an option anymore for Bill. And it became a necessity, um, you know, the progressiveness of this disease causes us, once we put in our, our you know, allergic food or, or drink, because it could be both. Don't, don't fool yourself just to think that it's just the drink. I mean the food. It's also the drinks that we put in, you know. And, it, and he's off to the races. And for, for Bill, it was the alcohol. And he, he just kept going and going. And then you see further down that... <clears throat> It says a tumbler of gin. What is a tumbler of gin? That, that's a glass that has no stem at the bottom of it. So there's no way to put it down, you know. As a matter of fact, whoever's drinking from the tumbler, they need to hold it in hand and keep it in their hands. So, you know, it, it becomes automatic where, where they're constantly drinking from it because they can't really actually put the, the, uh, the tumbler down unless they turn it around and just, just put it on the table, you know, that's, that's the only way. Um, and for him, it was just a setup of, you know, how society sets us up even to, to drink and to eat, you know. Um, I think about all the fast food restaurants and all the things and all the advertisements that we have out there that causes us to, you know, 
to, to have that. But here again, it says a tumbler full of gin followed by half a dozen bottles of beer. Again, the allergy of the body. Once I pick up the first, I'm off to the races. I cannot stop. That's the allergy. You know, when I pick up my binge foods, I'm off to the races. Then it talks about the mental obsession, right? It says, um, it says, nevertheless, I thought I could control the situation. There were periods of sobriety which renewed my wife's hope. So now in these periods of sobriety, that's when the mental obsession kicks up the most, you know, because then we're restless, irritable, and discontent. You know, it, it talks about it a little more in um, more about alcoholism on page 30, where it says that, therefore, it is not surprising that our drinking careers have been characterized by countless vain attempts to prove we could drink like other people. You know, the idea that somehow, someday, we will control and enjoy his drinking is the great obsession of every abnormal drinker. The persistence of this illusion is astonishing. Many pursue it into the gates of insanity or death. And what I see there is, you know, control. I'm always trying to control. Um, you know, that's the mental obsession. The the idea, the insanity that, um, uh, and it's described in three words, obsession, illusion, and insanity. And they're intertwined together um, because it's the belief that the problem does not exist. It's the belief that, you know, that I can still do this by myself, that I can find some kind of way, some kind of how to uh, enjoy my eating, enjoy my binge foods, enjoy my alcohol, enjoy what's killing me, and I'm going to find a way to be able to have those things and and still live like everybody else, like a, a, a normal um, you know, alcoholic, I mean, a non-alcoholic or a non-compulsive overeater. And that's the illusion, you know, that's, that's the mental obsession that drives a lot of people to death and insanity. Um, because for us, we have to do what Thanks, is Stu. Terrible. I think we're going to try and wrap it up. Okay, I'm wrapping it up. It says we had to fully concede to our innermost selves that we were alcoholics, that the illusion that the delusion that we are like other people and present maybe has to be smashed. And that's, that's the key there, you know, that it has to be smashed. And we do this through the 12 steps, and uh, we do this through what we're doing now, um, reading the big book. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Stu. And thanks for everyone who shared on that paragraph. Um, Susan C., uh, we're going to move on. And Susan, I'd like to suggest that you read um, the next two paragraphs, both Gradually Things Got Worse and Then I Got a Promising Business Opportunity, please. Good morning, everyone, and thanks so much for your service, Katie, and everyone for your enthusiasm. (laughs) Gradually things got worse. The house was taken over by the mortgage holder. My mother-in-law died. My wife and father-in-law became ill. Then I got a promising business opportunity. Stocks were at the low point of 1932, and I had somehow formed a group to buy. I was to share generously in the profits. Then I went on a prodigious bender, and that chance vanished. And I'm Susan C., compulsive overeater in New York. And these two paragraphs, along with the the end of the 
the last one read, illustrate this roller coaster. Last paragraph ended on a high, followed by a decline. In the first paragraph I read, followed by another positive opportunity, another high, and kaboom, down again. So the doctor's opinion described this painful, demoralizing cycle, one that I'm all too familiar with from my past. And it's repeated over and over. And rather than going to that page for the sake of time, I'll just kind of summarize it as I didn't like how I felt, as was just mentioned by the last share. I was irritable, restless, discontented. So I ate. And that put my poor allergic body into a state of craving. So I ate some more till I was filled with this sense of remorse and this resolve not to do it again, only I did do it again. And I did it over and over and over. And in the doctor's opinion, it's referred to as these well-known stages of a spree. And like I said, I can certainly relate to this. Life was good. I was riding high. And for a spell, emphasis on for a spell, I uh, was able to use various means to control my intake of food. But as has been stated, I've heard it said that if we uh, if we aren't if we don't have an issue with something, we don't need to try to control it. And and my attempts to control only worked for so long. And then I'd get this thought that dominated all other thoughts, eat, 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 eat. And uh, that thought, sometimes it was sooner, sometimes it was later, became a command, and I was off to the races again. And I also want to say that um, in terms of that promising business opportunity, I can relate to that with a story. And it took me some time to come up with one. I have a very type A personality. I relate to Bill's drive. And um, I'm usually the person who, who would show up no matter what. But this was one instance. I was in a relationship with a man that I was very interested in, very uh, deeply involved with emotionally. And his best friend was throwing an engagement party. And I'm going to wrap up. And a hundred of his dearest friends were there at this event. He wanted me to meet everyone. I was so excited to be a part of this, to meet his friends, to be included. So excited, so delighted, except for one thing. The day before, I, I binged. And the day of the event, I woke up hungover. And to top it off, it was pouring raining that day. And my selfish, self-conscious brain that was not yet God-conscious told me that um, that not going was the brightest idea I'd had in a long time to quote someone else. And uh, so I didn't go. And uh, he was he was so, so upset because I didn't even come up with a lie. I really, I told him the truth. It's pouring outside and I binged yesterday. I'm not up to it. What a surprise. That relationship didn't work out so well. So I guess I'm saying I can relate. I'm I'm one of I'm one of you guys. Thanks so much. Thanks, Susan. And this Hello? is Katie G. And I just wanted to um, identify in really quickly. Um, just appreciate it. Everything everybody's been saying. And to to me, these two paragraphs talk about um, you know, of course, the progression of the disease, right? Like a, I um, the necessity of food, and then also. Um, no matter what happens, 
the disease is still inside me. So things got worse. The house was taken over by the mortgage holder. My mother-in-law died. My wife and father-in-law became ill. Life happened, and the disease is still progressing. And then he got a promising business opportunity and went on a prodigious, which is great of great extent, vendor, and the chance vanished. So whether um, my experience in my diseases, whether things were getting worse, which, you know, over any period of, uh, of eating, they, they were, oh, my disease is always getting worse, whether I'm eating or not, um, or whether things are going well, whether I, you know, I was offered, I graduated from college, I was offered this great job, and um, I found myself face down in the food, consumed by food. And, um, you know, this is really speaking to the powerlessness. Uh, of me, of, of my disease, that no matter what external circumstances, those external circumstances don't matter if I have this twofold illness, the allergy of the body and the obsession of the mind. It is always going to lead control. If I have this period of control, it will inevitably follow as it, follow, as it says on page 31, by still less control, which led to pitiful and incomprehensible demoralization because that cycle is set off and I Lack of power is my dilemma. Um, that, is my, that is my problem. And with that, I pass. And we have time for uh, one more share. If somebody Hello? would like to, to share. This is this Paula. Paula. Yeah. Um, Paula, I did hear someone before, before you. Okay, so Paula and Sippy, we, we have time um, actually just for one share, um, unless you guys wanted to divide that in half. Uh, so, um, sorry about that. Um, Paula, why don't you go ahead and, um, and um, sorry to be well, we have our second hour and um, we'll end there. So, I'm sorry, I, I was being unclear. Paula, are you able to share? And if not, okay, so Sippy, are you able to share, please? Hello, um, do you hear me? Okay. Yeah, I, um, we have about one that is a Sippy. Yeah, hi, good morning. Good morning, everyone, and have a happy, healthy new year. Thank you for your service. Um, this is Sippy, a recovered compulsive overeater from Canada. Do you hear me? I can, yep. Okay, all right. I'll, I'll just be quick. Um, this really, I can identify here. When I came in to, um, to this meeting and I kept hearing, uh, we can't face life on life's terms, that's what I identify with because no matter what was going on, in my life, um, I was turning to the food. If it was a good thing, I turned to the food. And if it was a bad thing, I turned to the food. And, um, and the, that's, you know, that's the nature of the disease and of the addiction. I, it was no longer, I, I didn't have a pause button. I couldn't stop and, and just live life on life's terms and plug into the power of God. And and even these words remind me how being abstinent, yes, my mother-in-law did die and I was able to plug into God and not go into the food and my father-in-law did become ill and thank God I was able to plug into the power 
of God and not go into the food. So life goes on, and the gifts of this program is we can deal with life on life's terms, and I'm very grateful for that. And whoever is new to this, just there is so much hope. And this, if I was able to do it, you're able to do it too with God's help and following the steps and the directions in this book. And with that, I want to wish everyone a wonderful day and a wonderful new year. Thank you. Thank you so much. And I want to thank everyone who has shared and for everyone's enthusiasm this morning. It's absolutely contagious. We will now close the reading um, with the reading from the big book on page 164, followed by the serenity prayer. And will Michelle please read A Vision for You? Our book is meant to be suggestive only. Yes, this is Michelle H., Recovered Compulsive Overeater in Missouri. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right, and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then. Pass.